All right, so take your Bible, turn to Psalm 23. We want to put our capstone on this teaching that we've been covering the last several weeks uh, called No Fear, No Worries. We're talking about you living a life without fear and without worries, and it comes right out of Psalm 23 here. We're in message number six. We're going to talk about goodness and mercy. Everybody say goodness and mercy. All right, so, so I hope our journey through Psalm 23 has strengthened your faith. I hope it's really given you some some eyes to see some things in, in a different light and that, that you, you just have received from it all. I hope you have. Uh, it's an amazing theological work of art, really. Uh, it's, it's, it's astounding because Psalm 23 is so simple, a child can memorize it, but yet it's so profound that a scholar can spend his life trying to mine out the meaning and the depths of everything that's presented here in Psalm 23. It's David's testimony. It's the testimony of one but the wonderful thing is, it's the experience of us all who are in this flock of God with Jesus as our shepherd. And in this psalm, we find the promises of God's provision. We find the promises of his extended care in every area of our life. We find his leadership available to us. We find his protection, his rod and staff, they comfort us. We find his restoration, he brings me back. Aren't you glad about that? We find his blessing and his hope that it both now and extend all the way forever. All right, come on, stand with me, if you will, to read Psalm 23 together. All right, let's read this together. Can we do that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Lord, bless our hearing this morning. We can hear your word. Right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have no lack in my life. I can live without fear. I can live without worry simply because he provides, he restores, he leads, he protects, comforts, and I will fear no evil because he's not distant away from me in some other galaxy in heaven somewhere. He is with me all the way. Amen. So I don't have anything to fear. All right. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, this picture that, that David has painted in the first four verses are that uh, to bring us into a deeper trust, uh, a deeper fellowship, if, if we can say that word, that I follow, I learned to follow my shepherd because I can simply trust him. Now, these last two verses, verses five and six, the imagery kind of shifts a little bit. We go from the rocky hills of the Judean wilderness. Remember those pictures we've shown of all the, the, the rocks and the hills and the valleys and all the green pastures and, and the not-so-green pastures, though. You remember those kind of pictures we've seen? So we're leaving the Judean wilderness. Now we're going to a lavish celebration in the house of the Lord, actually the house of the king. So we shift from being a beloved sheep in the good shepherd's care. Now we're an honored guest at the king's house. Now, that's kind of David's progression of life, too, isn't it? He goes from being this shepherd boy on the backside of a hill somewhere, tending his father's sheep, to now he is anointed and he becomes the king of Israel. So you see David's progression of life in this psalm as well. So we go from the change. Did you notice a change in the psalm? From sheep talk, pastures, still waters, 
rod, staff, all of that stuff. That's sheep talk, right? Sheep and shepherd talk. Now, these last two verses, we get the people talk. He starts talking about a table. He's talking about a cup. He's talking about a house. Now, don't be alarmed by that. Jesus does that same kind of teaching where one minute he's talking about animals, next minute he shifts and takes the story to humans. That's what we find in Luke 15 with the prodigal. Good shepherd, lost sheep, lost sons. Remember that? All right. So the imagery shifts right here, and we've got three brand new images to look at, to picture about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Three new images. We've got a feast, we've got anointing oil, and we've got a full cup or an overflowing cup. All of these show us that God, as a gracious host to us, would provide and honor us because He simply loves us and He respects us. Now, that's, that's amazing to me to think about that because my life is, is called to honor and respect and love God. But the psalm kind of reverses it right here. We are to worship God and we are to love Him and respect Him. But this is painting a picture that God loves and respects and honors us. That's amazing to me. Especially because I know me. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that kind of blows you away. Now, these are going to become symbols of God's mercy and God's goodness over us as we begin to unpack them. So now David sees himself in these last two verses. He's seen it all along, really, but just some little different imagery. He sees himself as the beloved of the Lord, the object of God's affection. He sees himself, he calls himself this one time, he calls him the apple of God's eye. All, all you folks with grandkids, y'all know what that's like, right? <laughs> that, that little one's just the apple of your eye. They just, they don't even have to say nothing. They can grunt you just right there. You know, like one, one guy said one time that that, that that grandfather right there is not the man who raised me. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, you, you go in as a, as a son or daughter, you go and ask for 20 bucks and you get 20 minutes worth of lecture and I ain't got no money and all this kind of stuff. But they walk in the door and say, reach in grandpa's pocket right here. There's, like, there's some money right there. You gonna get that? It changed, didn't it? Because those little, little ones, they just become the apple of your eye. David sees himself as someone that God loves and cherishes and desires and wants to honor. Now, question here for us studying this psalm. Do you see yourself like that? Do you see yourself as the apple of God's eye? As the beloved of the Lord? Or is he just somebody that's always displeased with you and he's up there with a stick ready to whack you over the head with it? Well, that's really not what he wants at all in the relationship with him. He wants you to see that he truly has you on his mind. He truly cares and that he truly loves you. And David gets a picture of this. He gets a glimpse of this. I want you to begin to see yourself like this, that the king of all kings wants to honor you, his people, with all of this lavish blessing. He really does. I mean, he's gone to great lengths to even prepare a place for us to be even close to him. Jesus has gone to the greatest of effort to help us all understand and come into covenant with him in this deep love and fellowship that is made available to us through his cross and through his resurrection. You see, the scripture teaches us something that we, we just tend to, it just kind of, it kind of blows past us. The scriptures are teaching, especially the New Testament, are teaching us that we are more valuable to God than we've ever imagined. You see that? Not just we, but you. That God ha has called you forth in this time and season for a plan and purpose, and you are valuable. You say, yeah, but, but, but I messed it up. Well, that's what forgiveness and mercy is all about. He wants to extend that to you so we can hit the reset button. You know what the reset button is on the game? When everything messes up, what do you do? You reach up there and boop. 
You hit the reset button, that means we get to start over. Well, God wants to, to live your life with you like that. You mess up, let's hit the reset button, let's start over, let's do this again. You got that? Because you are the object of his affection. That's what the cross is all about. That's, that's what the resurrection is all about, to bring you into this covenant in such a way that you and I live every single day of our life and eventually all on into eternity that we live underneath this covenant of blessing that has been made available to us. This idea of beloved and the apple of God's eye, the new covenant is absolutely filled with this kind of language. It's filled with it. And if you don't know who you are, then anybody will tell you who you are. But if you know who you are in Christ and you get in there and see that new covenant, you say, hey, I'm more than a conqueror. Hey, I, I can do all things through Christ. Hey, I am the beloved of the Lord. Hey, I am the adopted into his family. I am saved. I am forgiven. We sang it just a second ago. I am chosen. I am not forsaken. I am a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. I am called to bring forth the praises of him who's called me out of, of darkness into his glorious light. That's who I am. David sees himself as the object of God's affection. And I believe he would say, I want you to join me in this. To see yourself like that. All right. Now, here's the first image right here. It's a feast. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Is the way he words it in verse number five. It's a feast. It's a feast that's fit for a king and his royal family. Now, you think about this. Now, what you see right there is just kind of a, an old ancient table setting uh, it's called a, a roman triclinium and it's tri because it's three-sided right there and you know right there in the horseshoe the, the the servants and tenants can come and they can serve and keep your glass full and all that kind of stuff this this would have been like the last supper it would have looked like this where they would recline on their arms feet out pillows stretching out dipping in the sop and all that kind of stuff drinking the wine doing all that kind of stuff that's what it would look like in, in the last supper Okay. Da Vinci tried to get it right, but he did it European style. This is Middle Eastern style. Okay. <laughs> all right. So now it's, it's a king's feast. Now this table is fitted with all the finest of food and drink. If you're going to eat with the king, you're going to eat good. I found out if you're going to eat with Mosley Bridge, you're going to eat pretty good too, right? <laughs> it's like going to the buffet and everything you can imagine is on. That, that's what David is seeing right here, that God has prepared a, a, a literal feast for him. That's his life. His life is, is like he's feasting on God's blessing. It's a king's feast. You see, here's, here's a little bit more modern idea picture, you know, all those things. Anybody ever been on a cruise ship? It's like a king's feast, isn't it, on these cruise ships? Y'all been on a couple of them back there? It's, it's like a it's king's feast. I mean, they come in there with ice sculptures out there, and then the, the, you never seen cantaloupe look like that, you know what I'm saying? All, all that kind of stuff, the watermelon shaped like uh, Cinderella's palace or something. It's crazy. But it, that's, they, they prepare it for like king's. That's what David gets a vision of. He said, God, you've been so good to me that you actually prepare a feast for me. Hmm. A feast is a table of blessing of every single kind, I believe, is what David has in mind here. Ephesians 1.3 says it like this, that in Christ we have been given every spiritual blessing. Say that with me. Every spiritual blessing. Now think about that. Now, I mean, that's what's ours. I'm not saying what you experience because we, you know, we experience way down here. God's blessing is way up here. We, 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 we really walk in what's right here. But what's available to us is way up here. We walk in far less than what Christ has provided. All of us do. So every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus is yours. 
It's yours. We're not waiting on it. It's yours today. Every spiritual blessing you can count on. What are some of those blessings? Talk to me a little bit. What are some of those blessings? Think about it. What are they? No, you're going to talk to me today now. Come on. <laughs> the ability to speak. And the mind to process it. All that kind of stuff. What, what else? Wisdom. God has given us wisdom. And we can have the mind of Christ. What else? We're going to be a while. It's okay. We, we, we ain't got nothing to do. The restaurant ain't but two, two blocks away. <laughs> what else? What are some of those blessings that, that God has given us through Christ? What are they? Just to wake up the next day? Amen. Each other. Each other. Yeah. That's right. Children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is the one who has his quiver full of them. That's what he says, right? Arrows in the hands of a mighty man. What else? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's a huge one, isn't it? That's a huge one. That we can be forgiven. We really can put a period on the end of that sentence. That was my past. If you're going to talk about something about my life, you better put a date on it because that's gone. You know what I'm talking about? Forgiveness, that's a, that's a big blessing for us. What else? Strength. Strength. Somebody said love. Love. All of, all of these things. Uh, love, joy, and peace are ours in Christ. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, all this stuff tends to run through our fingers or we don't quite grasp it. But they're ours. It belongs to you. It's part of your inheritance in Christ. He paid the bill. He paid the bill for your groceries. Don't leave them at Walmart. Go get them and eat them. You know what I'm talking about? Righteousness is ours in Christ Jesus. The fellowship of the saints, as somebody said, we have each other. Now, fellowship and oneness with God, we have that. The kingdom, the, the literal kingdom of God has been given to us as our inheritance. Man, that's good stuff. I can't wait to enjoy it in the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem with him. <laughs> that's going to be a good time. All right. Now, Peter says it like this. Listen, this is, this is all stuff that makes your mind go, you know. 2 Peter 1, 3 says this. His, Christ's divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. They're ours. This is, this is this feast we're talking about, that God has, through Christ, prepared this table of blessing for us to eat at every single day of our life and throughout all of eternity. Every blessing possible, I believe, is, is laid out right here at this prepared table. Material things, you need physical things, you need literal bread and sustenance and resources for your family, God will provide. Amen? You need, you need resources for the vision He's got over your life and the ministry that He said, I want you to be a part of, He, he can provide that. Because wherever God guides, what, what's, what's the old saying? Wherever He guides, He provides. Amen? He's Jehovah Jireh. Amen? All right, so... This is a unique kind of feast, too. It says, he prepares a table before me. And how does it finish it? In the presence of my enemies. There's two thoughts here I want to, want to just submit to you. Sulha is, is an, an idea. It's an ancient term right there. It's, a, it's the idea of the table of reconciliation. Now, when would two people need to be reconciled? When would they need to be reconciled? When, when they're separated, when there's some kind of grievance between them, Right? There's some kind of issue between them and, and they're at odds with one another. They're fighting whether it's a legal type thing or, or, or you know, he said, she said, shouldn't said, you know, that kind of thing. It, it, this idea could mean that he, in the presence of my enemies, has prepared a table of reconciliation. Extending a hand of fellowship even to those 
that are his enemies. We see Jesus doing this time and time again, don't we? Where was his favorite place to eat? Who, who was his favorite people to eat with? Sinners and tax collectors, it seemed like, wasn't it? He was, see, those were some of the enemies. They were actually enemies of God, but he came to bring reconciliation, heal those relationships. And the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies because God wants us to be at peace with each other if at all possible is what the Apostle Paul says. Blessed are the peacemakers. There you go. Now you remember the story of Mephibosheth? Remember that guy in the Old Testament? He was a, a grandson of Saul and a, the son of Jonathan, the only one remaining that David knew about. Remember that? And he was crippled in his feet. And Mephibosheth thought that David was coming to kill him, but literally David went and got Mephibosheth, brought him into the courts of the king, and let him sit at his table, literally becoming one of David's adopted sons in the presence of my enemies. Here's another idea about in the presence of my enemies, that the Lord offers me his table and there is nothing the enemy can do about that. Not a thing. Now, I'm not getting an attitude and wagging my finger saying, nah, 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 I'm here and you ain't. I'm, we're not doing that. We don't have that kind of attitude. Our attitude is one of, of graciousness. But you got to know that there are, there's the accuser and there's haters. Y'all know what haters are? Oh, God bless them haters, right? <laughs> they don't like where you are. They don't like the blessing of God on your life. Maybe because it hadn't come to pass in their life. Or maybe because you were part of the offense in their life at one time or another. But God, even in spite of all the haters and all the people that would say to them, hey, you know, he don't, she don't really deserve to sit at that table. Well, guess who knows that better than anybody? The one that's sitting at the table. We know we don't deserve what he's given us. We know we don't deserve to put our feet underneath his table. We don't deserve to eat his provisions. We don't deserve every spiritual blessing. But that's not the way grace works. Grace works by mercy. And mercy says, I know you did it. I'll forgive it. And I'll give you grace and mercy. Come and have a seat. And here's your fork. You know what I'm talking about? And there is nothing. Yes, you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But that's the beauty of the gospel. That's why it's called good news. That's good news. I don't deserve it. And the truth of the matter is, I couldn't earn a spot at this table if I did my best. It's extended to me through invitation of the king. And he says, it's here for you, Ron. It's here for you, Doug. It's here for you, Carol. It's here for all of you. Come and sit if you want to. There's a place at the table with your name on it. The Lord spoke that to my heart. Years and years ago, I, I, I could take you to the exact spot he spoke it to me. I was doing all kinds of stuff. I was a young preacher, and I was trying to be, you know, uh, like world-class preacher. I was just learning my, my, getting my wings about me kind of thing, learning all kinds of stuff. And I was listening to sermons and sermons and sermons and trying to, trying to be everybody from T.D. Jakes to whoever else it might be. It was the latest and greatest. It was having a lot, big impact. So I had all these tapes and stuff and I would, I would take some of their notes and I would write them down and I would go to my youth group and do all the stuff I do and I'd preach those sermons. And one day the Lord visited me in my car, actually. I had to pull over the side of the road when, when this happened. He spoke to me and he said, Ron, get rid of all that stuff. There's a place at the table for you to sit. And this is what he said. I'm sorry, this is kind of 
crude. He said, you don't have to eat regurgitated food anymore. You can eat at my table. That's what he told me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I went home, boxed up T.D. Jakes and all them boys. <laughs> now, I still listen to them today. I, I enjoy some of those guys, and they, they're a real blessing in my life. But at that time and season, I wasn't, I wasn't gleaning from them. I was trying to be them. You know what I'm talking about? And I had to pack it all up, and I had to say, right, where's that table setting at? Where? Oh, that's got my name right there. I can sit right there. Because you know what? God doesn't want another copy of somebody else. He wants you. He wants you with all your blemishes, all your quirks, all, all 15 of your personalities, all that. He wants it all. Come sit at the table, right? <laughs> Some of y'all, that's a conservative number. Anyway. <laughs> now, the challenge is, are you going to listen? See, it's in the presence of your enemies. Are you going to listen to the enemy or your enemies? Or are you going to enjoy the Lord's blessing? And the Lord's feast. That's a real challenge for us. Whose words are you going to let define you? Ask the prodigal son. We spent some time on that just, just a while back. Ask the prodigal son about that because he comes home and the Lord prepares for him in that parable. The father prepares for him a, a verifiable feast. Kills the fatted calf for him. Invites all the people of the village. I guarantee you nobody in that village liked him. For what he had done to his family. The father prepares the feast. Invites the whole community to it. The son sits there and eats in the presence of his enemies. And the father knows if they could get to him before he did, they'd take him out. But the father won't have it. The king in this case won't have it. I will prepare a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. That's good news. That's good news. Because you know who's writing the script to your life? It's not them, it's him. <laughs> Live according to his words, not their words. If you need to reconcile and make some apologies and do all that kind of thing, hey, go do it. Be humble about it. But when it comes to eating time, it's between you and him. Amen. He prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. All right, the second image he's got here. Is, is the anointing oil. It says this. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Say it with me. You anoint my head with oil. Well, perhaps David was remembering the day God anointed him to be king. You remember that story? With Samuel the prophet. Remember that? that? That was the day that David knew that he was chosen, beloved, and honored by the Lord. That was the day it all changed for him. You know, everything can change in a day. You know that? It really can now, perhaps David was remembering that, but, but this was also a custom in that world that David lived in, okay, and Jesus lived in. This was an ancient custom of hospitality to anoint somebody's head with oil. It was often a, kind of a perfume-scented oil. You know, they sell those kind of things now. Anybody familiar with those scented oils and things like that kind of thing right there? Well, that's not a new thing. That, that actually goes way back. In fact, uh, Solomon was involved in all that kind of spice trade and all that kind of stuff. Uh, King Herod, way back in the time of Jesus, he was involved in all that kind of stuff. This is not a new thing. Everybody said, we got some new stuff. Now that's some old stuff. <laughs> but this was an ancient custom that a, a host would honor his guest 
with love and affection by, by putting this perfumed oil. Now see, they didn't have the amenities that we have today as, as all the, a lot of the indoor plumbing and, and the nice little side bathroom right there to the left and, and two upstairs and all that kind of, They didn't have all that kind of stuff. They didn't have plumbing and stuff in the Roman world. But they didn't have all the amenities and it wasn't as easy, okay? So what they would do when they come in the door, because you got to think, I mean, it's 120 degrees in the daytime out there. It's a hot desert life. You, and they're wearing, you know, Nike hadn't been invented yet. So they're wearing open-toed sandals, right? And, and the practice was that when you would honor a guest that would come into your home, especially into the courts of a king, that you would take that perfumed oil and you would, you would sprinkle a little bit in their hair and you would refresh them. You would refresh them. You'd take their sandals off of their feet. And you, you, you imagine what their feet look like. The more rocky paths and dusty paths and all that kind of stuff. I mean, their, their feet were rough, you know. They would take the sandals off of their feet and they would wash their feet and then they would take that perfumed oil and it would go into those, those hard places on the foot and it would just be like, oh man, it would be like going to the spa, girls. You know what I'm talking about? That would be, it would be an honor in that culture. All right? This is what David is saying. Lord, you, you, you treat me like, like you honor me. Now, there again, it just kind of blows my mind because I know we come in here to honor him. And David got a glimpse as I'm trying to honor you and you are beating me to the punch. You keep honoring me, God. You keep blessing me. You keep pouring out upon me. You keep caring for me. Refreshing. It was a sign of the king's blessing. Now, do you remember any practices of this happening in Jesus' life? You remember anything like that? We have any Jesus stories on this? Remember that? Remember that? Remember? Well, one time, just before he died, remember? This lady breaks in and, and anoints his head and his feet and, and pours on, you know, the, the, the spike nerd, the alabaster box. And she bursts it and then she worships God. And, and he says, let her do it. She's doing it to prepare me for my burial. But there was, there was a place in Luke chapter 7. I think it starts at about verse 36, something like that. Jesus comes into the house of a Pharisee. I believe his name was Simon. He comes into the house of a Pharisee, and the host failed to honor Jesus. He just treated Jesus like everybody else. They all come in the door, and hey, 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 everybody take your seats, we're good. And then this lady comes in, and she anoints his head, washes his feet with this oil, like this anointing oil. And, and they, they're all fussing. You don't know what kind of woman this is. What, did, what in the world is this happening? And in that culture, men and women did not associate on that kind of level together. Unless it was servant master kind of thing. You didn't do that kind of stuff back then. And Jesus said, let her go. Let her do it. And he looks at Simon. He said, Simon, I came into your house. And you didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't honor me. But this woman has come in and did what you should have done anyway. <laughs> And let her be. And by the way, lady, as I know who you are, I know what kind of lady you are. All of your sins are forgiven. That's what he tells her. That was quite a day. But you know what? What's amazing? Two of them that day walked away smelling like anointing oil. Not just Jesus. Guess what she smelled like? She smelled like Jesus. Because <laughs> when you're going to get close to him like that, you're going to become like him. 
And what he's got is going to get on you, what you got is going to get on him, and that's a pretty good exchange. So, anointing oil, can, can you, it's a perfumed oil. It's, it's highly scented. Can, can you smell it? You smell it? Smell it in the air? Don't forget to smell when you're in the scriptures. It, it, it helps you. Get all your senses involved. That's what I like. It, it signifies that I can smell. You, you've been marked by the king. The king's poured his blessing out upon you. That's what David is saying. You anoint my head. You poured your blessing out upon me in ways I can't even comprehend. Now, the new covenant would teach us things about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's always been around. The Holy Spirit's always been around. But, but in the new covenant, there's just something different about it. It's intensified. And it's not just pinpointed to a king or a prophet. Now it's dispersed to a whole, the whole body of people. That we all can now be anointed with the Holy Spirit. God wants to anoint you. And it's the indwelling presence of the Spirit and His anointing upon us that marks us for His kingdom. And now see, again, it smells. That, that fragrant oil of anointing oil, it smells. The anointing of the Spirit smells a certain way. Now, maybe not physically, you probably can't smell it, but people can see it. They should be able to see that there's something different about our lives. It's for us, yes, and it's for all those around. In fact, Paul says it like this now. Make no mistake about it. He says that through us, here's another picture, that through us, through us believers, that the fragrance of Christ is dispersed throughout our world, through us. And that somehow or another, this king who anoints us with oil causes a release of our lives and his goodness in our homes and in all of our communities. You anoint my head with oil. Now, the third picture is this overflowing cup. Oh, oh, goodness. No, we didn't break it. Thank goodness. I got this one from Israel. I don't want to break that one. <laughs> what, what's this picture right here? What, what's this picture? This overflowing cup. You know what? Got it. Is that it? Is that it? What's this picture? Look at this overflowing cup. It'll dry. This overflowing cup. It's, again, it's a symbol of this blessing that's upon my life that God has honored me in such a way that I am fully satisfied in Him. I got this overflowing cup. I'm sitting at His table. You know, He, he sees, he, sees me. he sends one of the angels over there. Hey, put a little bit more in that cup. <laughs> Let me teach some. Well, never mind. I was going to say it. You can't get service like this anywhere. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. David said, he, he's just been so good to me. I ain't been able to contain it all. You ever feel like that? If you stop complaining and start thinking about God and, and his blessings, he's got, you, you begin to see some of this happening in your life. And you begin to praise God. I heard, I heard a preacher say this sidebar. I heard a preacher say the other day, he said, if God inhabits the praises of his people, who inhabits the complaining of his people? Oh, Lord, it hit me in the gut. I don't, I don't want no part of that. Mm. This overflowing cup represents abundance. It's a symbol of joy. It, it's a symbol of like the best wine. You know, that's the, the, Jesus brings the best wine to the, to the party. Isn't that what he did? 
That was his first miracle in John. Remember that? That he, he turned the water into wine and they said, this, this is not normal for anybody to do that. After men have drank a little bit and got a little tipsy, you know, you usually bring in the watered down stuff. He said, but what you've done, you've brought the richest and the best for the last. And wine in the scripture, it's all throughout the scripture. Wine is always seen as a symbol of joy for God's people. And he fills us with this joy that really, as one writer says, is unspeakable and full of glory. It's a symbol of the Lord's eagerness to bless us and to provide. It's the cup of joy and gladness. Now, now think about this. There's some cup talk in Jesus' world, in Jesus' life. Remember, he talked about a cup in Gethsemane. He's praying. Remember what he says? You remember? Father, if it's all possible, let this, what did he say? Let this cup pass from me. I don't know how long the pause was. I don't know how big the struggle was. It was pretty big. I mean, he's sweating it out here. Drops of blood. And then he says, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will be done, but yours be done, right? So what Jesus, in those moments, he agreed, and at the cross he drank it. He drank the cup of wrath. Now, why in the world would Jesus drink the cup of wrath? Well, that's the cup that you and I should be drinking. That's the cup that was due us. That's the cup that would pay our debts. That, that's the cup that, that we're, we owe that to God. And Jesus, in those moments from Gethsemane to the cross, drinks the cup of wrath so that you and I could drink the cup of blessing. In fact, that's what Paul calls the cup of Holy Communion. He calls it the cup of blessing. You get that? It's this overflowing cup of blessing again. So we got a blessing of a feast. we got the blessing of the anointing of oil. We've got the blessing of the overflowing cup. It's a beautiful picture. And then he wraps it up, okay? In verse number six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Say that with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, do you see the connection with verse number one. What was verse number one? The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, so what do sheep do with the shepherd? They follow him, right? Okay, I follow him and his goodness and mercy. They follow me. You see what I'm talking about? This is a package deal now. You got to get this. I follow him and goodness and mercy follows me. Now the idea of the word follow is to pursue, overtake, and chase down. Like you're trying to apprehend. So what I've got following after me is not, you know, from David's perspective, it's not King Saul. It's not all of my enemies. I'm not even worried about them because I found out that nobody can get to me because goodness and mercy is between me and everybody. It's between me and everything that happens in this life. God's goodness and mercy. I follow him. Goodness and mercy follows me. That is a blessing. Now, this will change. Now, if you, if you begin to see this in verse number six, this will change the perspective of your life. It will change the way you wake up in the morning. Okay? Now, think about this. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. My expectation is not fear. My expectation is not wrath. My expectation is not misery. It's not defeat. It's not bad stuff. That's not my expectation. But rather, my expectation is goodness and mercy. I'm telling you, that will change your whole life. And if you begin to believe this, it'll change every relationship you've got to the good. 
that God's goodness and mercy is pursuing you every single day. That's the part of the covenant. I'm not high and mighty about it. I don't even, I don't even hardly understand it myself. I don't know why he would do that, but he said he would. So I expect and I believe for the goodness of God to come my way. Do you expect God's goodness to come your way? We have a hard time with this now. We really do. But do you wake up in the morning saying, Lord, I wonder what good you're going to do today? Or do you wake up? But what's your expectation when you get up? So what if things are bad right now? What about goodness and mercy? It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Hang on. We've got a promise in Romans 8, 28 that even though things aren't good, I believe that God will turn them all around for good for my sake because I'm in love with him and he's in love with me. You know what I'm talking about? So my, if, even if things aren't good, he ain't done yet. That's what that means. He's going to turn it around for good. So I anticipate, I expect, I believe for God's goodness. And I anticipate the mercy of God over my life. I anticipate his favor, his kindness, his loyal love. I, I anticipate it every single day I live. And his love will pursue me and chase me down. And God's had to chase this old boy down a few times. Now, isn't that presumptuous? <laughs> no. It's faith. Isn't that, doesn't that sound like a spoiled kid talking? Well, it would if the father didn't promise it. But the father promised me goodness. He promised me mercy. He promised me blessing. He said, I'll be always with you. You don't have anything to fear, son. I will protect you. I'll watch over you. I've got a rod and a staff. I've got a whole angel crew that'll take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Live in peace. Live in rest. Live in joy. Live in blessing. hear what he's saying? God promised us this. So it's faith to believe in what he promised. And to believe that he's good for what he promised. It's a covenant love. I didn't earn a bit of it. But his grace makes every bit of it available. You got it? Goodness and mercy. Things ahead don't look good. Look back. There's something chasing after you. Goodness and mercy is going to get to you. You hear me? Say, I'm, I'm listening, preacher. You hear me? Y'all good? Goodness and mercy is coming after you. Believe in the goodness of God. You know, that's what the enemy did in the garden. He caused Adam and Eve to question the goodness of God. That's exactly how sin came into this world. He questioned, he had them question, did God really say God's keeping something from you? He doesn't want you to have this blessing. If you eat this, you'll be like him. He, he twisted the whole thing up and got them to think that God was withholding. God's good. He's in the business of good. And before it's all settled, he's going to turn it all out for good. Turn it all around if he needs to. You hear me? So wake up. Okay, we got today's Sunday. We got Monday. Well, that's a good day to wake up with this, isn't it? <laughs> Goodness and mercy are chasing after you tomorrow. You hear me? <laughs> and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever house of the lord that's tabernacle temple language is what that is that's the language for being in the presence of god see david discovered something that god didn't just belong in that tabernacle that moses had built and that he was a steward over god didn't just dwell right there that the whole earth was his house and david found out that wherever he went 
was the house of the Lord. You hear me? That God's presence was with him all the time. <laughs> the New Testament teaches us even deeper than that. The New Testament teaches us that you and I, as followers of Christ, are the house of the Lord now. We're the temple of God. And He's with me for the whole journey. That means He's with me every day. He's with me every step. I will dwell in the presence of God all of my days. So I will live in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life. The days here, you are with me. And we need to become more aware of His presence. You are with me. And throughout all of eternity, I'll be with you. We're never going to be separated again from Him. Our hope, our union with God will be complete one day. And He and I will be one. You see, even as He and Jesus is one. He and you will be one. That fellowship will be perfect. So David's covered for now. And he's covered forever. You hear him? He said, I got that revelation. I'm good now, today, and when it's all said and done. You know what? This, these years that we live, 80, 90, 110, 120, whatever it might be, you know, these, these days we live, do you realize that this is the shortest part of your life? <laughs> We've got a whole eternity to spend with God and those who love Him family members who've gone before us. We've got a whole eternity. So these are the shortest days. And David got the revelation. I'm good now. And Lord, you got forever even covered in this whole deal. I don't ever have to be apart from you. So I need provision. You're taking care of it. I need protection. You're taking care of it. I need leadership, direction. You're taking care of that. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? No wonder... No wonder God says you don't have to fear anything. Not even death. You don't have to worry about anything. He said, I don't want you to worry about anything, anything, anything. And we hadn't got our minds wrapped around that yet. Simply because I know that God is with me. And I know that he is blessing me all the days of my life. And he's made a covenant with me. And I made a covenant with him. And we, according to Psalm 23 and all of the New Testament especially, we are in this life together with God forever and ever. Amen. And he's good for it. Amen. All right. Come on, let's do this. Let's, let's close this whole series right here. Let's close this whole thought. I hate to even let this go, to be honest with you. There's so much more we could teach, but we got to move on to some other stuff. What I want to do in closing, I want to read these verses. And I want to read them kind of slow. Okay, I'm going to read kind of maybe pause in between them. And I just want you to kind of in your mind, just, just think about the things we've, we've traveled in this song. Okay, just think about the things we've traveled. All right, let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's over you too now. Think of the imagery here. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still water. Don't you see, maybe you're in a dry place, a difficult place. you got some still waters. Maybe you need some provision somewhere. He's got a green pasture for you. He restores my soul. Remember we talked about that? He, he, he brings me back. If I need recovery from discouragement, he, he brings me back from that. Maybe I need recovery from sin. Maybe I got myself in a mess somehow. 
He's a shepherd that puts the sheep on his shoulders and restores them back. He restores my soul. Remember that shepherd we had with the sheep on his own? Mm-hmm. My favorite picture. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Remember those narrow paths? Jesus said, I do have a narrow way. Don't go the broad way. That's the way of the world. Stay on my narrow path. I got a path that's just right for you. Here we go. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Remember those dark valleys? Sometimes the path goes there. We don't have to fear even the worst enemy of all, death. We don't even have to fear that because he's with us. He's with us. I don't have to be afraid. He's got a rod and staff. He's going to protect me. And when I look at him as my protector, I just take a deep breath and I find comfort. Now here's today's images. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. You anoint my head with oil. You, you honor me, Lord. I'm taken by that. I don't, I don't. All I can say is thanks. <laughs> my cup runs over. Lots more than I deserve. I don't even deserve a cup at all. At least at this table for sure. My cup runs over. Lord, you give me a beautiful family, beautiful wife. <laughs> Salvation. And surely goodness and mercy will take my life over. <laughs> Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Lord, give us that perspective. Help us to see that you're good one today. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to be in your presence from here and now and later. What beautiful words. What a beautiful journey with God. I hope you're on it with it. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Psalm 23. We thank you for what we've gone through over the last month and a half, two months, something like that. Lord, we thank you for what we've gone through, what we've learned. But Lord, if we just learn information, it's no good. We need the kind of learning, Lord, that causes our faith to come alive. Causes our hope to be quickened. Causes us to see how much you love us. How much you care for us. Help it not just be knowledge, Lord, but help it be revelation knowledge for each one of us. That you've gone to great lengths to provide, to bless. We thank you, Lord. And I'm honored and I'll brag on you to the day I die that you are my shepherd. You are my shepherd. You've taken care of this boy. You've proven to me that I'm a son. I'm not always a good one, but you've, you've proven to me that whether I'm a bad one or a good one, I'm, I'm, I'm your son. You've proven that. I know many of them, many folks here, the Lord, have that same testimony, that same experience with you. You've proven yourself time 
and time again. So as your people, as your sheep, Lord, and as the people that come and sit at your table, we just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness that's been extended to us. And for each of us, Lord, I pray you'd help us to walk in more of that goodness. Have faith for more of that goodness, Lord. Have faith to embrace more of that favor that you keep pouring out. That we wouldn't shy away from it just because we feel unworthy, but we'd come into this thing knowing that it's mercy that got us to that table. It's mercy that keeps us at that table. It's your love. It's your loyal love, Lord, that keeps us going. Thank you, Lord. And, and make us better sheep. Make us better sheep, Lord. Transform us. Change us. Help us, Lord. We've got a lot of quirks and quacks and all kinds of things going on inside of us, Lord, and all kinds of um, habits and things that pull us off track, cause us to choose it the wrong way. Help us to be better sheep, Lord. Help us to be better sheep.